Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up? Welcome, everybody, to the Good Bottle Podcast. My name is Chris Sinclair. I am your host this evening, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. Drusif, homie, friend, guy I talk a lot of shit to. The fuck's up, man? How are you doing this week? It's so funny that you that you would say Drusif because this was the one time I didn't put Drusif as my name on on like the chat feature. And the only reason I didn't do it is because our guest tonight, we are we are at the very beginning of our relationship. And I was like, I don't want her to think like weird to me. Like, what's this whole thing about? So, you know, I didn't want to I didn't want to go there just yet. And then, of course, like you come right out and I'm like, I'm like, oh, weird. I put it out into the universe. There was more. It's more of that visualizing that I've been talking about. As soon as I put it in the universe, it, it happens. So um, but I'm, but I'm doing, I'm doing good, man. I got an exercise bike this past weekend and I've used it as many days as I've had it. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Wow. Good for you. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll see if that momentum continues, but I got, I got added into a Facebook group that is, um, supposed to guilt me into continuing to do it. And if I don't, I owe people whiskey and considering that I have a pretty ridiculous whiskey collection, I do not want to give any of that up. Um, so, so it is, so it is. It's good. I'm I'm excited about it, and and hopefully I'll be uh, I'll be Lance Armstrong before before anybody realizes what's happening. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm pushing for. How are you? What's going on? Oh man, I, I uh, uh, I'm doing great, man. Uh, I I've had a crazy last couple of weeks. Like like uh, we all know, last week I was recording for Monterey. That was fantastic. Had a blast. Uh, it's the first time I've ever recorded from a hotel lobby, so that was interesting. Uh, and yeah. then uh, this week, some um, I just got back yesterday from Tahoe. Uh, a longtime friend of mine, an old roommate, we had a he had a bachelor party, and by bachelor party, I mean it was like me and both of our like my old roommates. So it was just three of us in a cabin up in Tahoe, just talking shit to each other, smoking cigars pretending to cook drinking a lot and um laughing at like old like richard Pryor movies it was fucking fantastic we had a blast we drank a lot of wine drank a lot of whiskey uh uh may or may not have done some forbidden substances it was great it was lovely (laughs) you're a father sir i know that's that's why i didn't say what it was because i don't want my daughter to grow up and be like "Mm, i see you guess what i'm doing now (laughs) <laughs> she'll find out eventually well, i'll probably I, tell her by the time she's two it's fine oh my gosh well it's getting close um <laughs> well let's let's not delay this any any further oh actually we have to delay it just one second last week what some of our audio got messed up with our fourth recording so if uh if people are wondering why at times our guest caitlin was talking completely out of sequence it's because that's what happened when we uploaded it to Anchor. So it was kind of a bummer, but it is what it is. And hopefully we'll be able to fix up that audio in the future and um, get that to work. But tonight's guest, we're keeping it in that same vein as uh, as the wine market. And this is someone that we're very, very excited to have. In fact, Chris reached out to me and he was like, Drew, we need to have her on. And I was like, I was like, yes, absolutely. 
And I was also maybe drinking some wine that night. So I immediately asked her and she said, yes, um, she is a natural wine writer. She is a content creator and she is the founder of Nod Wines. Our guest tonight, which we are so excited about, Nadia Pugh. Thank you so much for joining us. And who the hell are you? What are you drinking? Cool. What is up? Thank you so much for having me on. Um, This is so fun. I feel like the world of wine, the world of spirits and social media is a crazy world and brings us all together. Um, I just feel like we feel like we can, I wish we could fill up a bar with like all of us and like all hang out like post COVID. Um, my name is Nadia Pugh, like you said, uh, founder of Nod Wines. Um, Nod Wines, like N-A-D. A lot of people say NAD, but it's Nod. It's short for Nadia. Um, I'm from Sacramento. I now live in the Bay Area. I live in Oakland. And I love natural wine. I mean, that's really where this started. Um, it's always funny when I'm asked to introduce myself. It's like, oh, okay, who are you? I'm like, who am I? Um, <laughs> so it's fun to just like, it's like, oh, this is cool. In this world, it's not like, you know, the corporate job where you like, you have a title. It's like, oh no, I can make up any title that I want. Like, so today I am a creator, a wine lover. Um, I like to say journalist or pseudo journalist, um, because I love telling stories. And I think that's what I really fell in love with when it came to natural wine is the stories, the people, the community behind these great bottles of wine that we have. Um, by day, I do something completely different. Um, but I guess what's a day and night anymore? I feel like after 2020, <laughs> everything's Time has just no intertwined. Yes, it does not. Time, you know, sun's up, maybe it's down. Um, but yeah, I, I, you can find me on Instagram. I'm there all the time. That's actually how, you know, Drew reached out to me. Um, at Nod Wines, and I just pump out fun content every day. I think my goal is really to make wine fun, accessible. Um, it's not just for old white guys that are sitting up in Napa. Um, there is just you know a whole world of wine to be discovered, and I really feel like there's something for everyone. Uh, everyone, every mood, every, you know, not just like meal pairings. So today I'm drinking a red wine. It's called Stay in Bed Red um, because that was my Monday mood. I just didn't feel like getting up. So I just thought it was very <laughs> fitting. <laughs> um, this wine is by Jay Bricks. Um, it's a couple down in um, Escondido, um, down in Southern California. They make some really cool natural wines. Um, we can get into like what natural wine exactly is and what that all is a little bit later. But um, this is a really cool 2020 blend, um, and it's a red, no smoke taint. Hey, um, nice. <laughs> uh, it's mainly uh, Merlot, Pinot Meunier, and a little bit of Syrah. So I, I've had I it. love Pinot yeah. Meunier. I, I like it. I it. It's it's fantastic, and especially here in California. Like we don't find it that often, but occasionally, like when it's thrown into a blend, it really screams. It's it, like it really pops out. That's fun. That's it's good stuff. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I actually, you know, if we can ever meet up in person, I have a bottle of Pinot Meunier, a still Pinot Meunier, uh, made in California uh, by Two Shepherds Wine, and they're up in Sonoma. And when I first tasted it, I was like, oh, wait, I've never had this still. And it's amazing. It has the fun acidity. It has the juicy red. It has like a little bit of brambly characteristics. There's just, I don't know, it's a mix of everything. And it's one of my favorite varietals. 
So one of the things that we were talking about before was um, before we started recording was like, we love people in your position who like, who have quote unquote real jobs, because a lot of people tell us that we don't have real jobs, not as much anymore, because, you know, I'm on the distributor side, Chris has a has a bottle shop. But, um, but definitely, there's a there's a huge portion of this industry where we get told a lot, like, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to get a real job? And you had that. And I didn't, and, and I believe just by kind of le- reading through some of some of the the website and the blog is that in February you hit you just about hit a year of your, your digital creation space and um, and everything that kind of went with that and and I know one of the other things that we were talking about before was that you know you had some more free time so you got into it and and stuff like that and really started to put these this information out so um, I always tell people the hardest thing that that happens with social media is first you have to convince yourself that what you have to say is important. Right. And, and so you're, you're coming from the outside, like you have this other career that you've done for a while, but you've always had this love for, for wine and how it can bring people together. What was, what ended up, you know, being the catalyst that you were kind of like, I need to have a bigger voice in this industry. Yeah, that's a funny story because I think it was like August 2019 where I told my best friend, it was like my birthday's in August, and I told my best friend, we went wine tasting. I told her, hey, like I was like, I think I want to create this Instagram and like share about all the natural wine that I'm learning about and all that stuff. She's like, you should do it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then I just totally put on the back burner. I thought no one would really care. I was like, I don't, like who who is she coming into the wine industry and talking about wine? She has no background. Um you know, a lot of the times at tasting rooms, I'm the only person that looks like me in those tasting rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like, I don't know. I just felt like, ah, it's silly. And then I took my dad wine tasting for his birthday, which is, was in January of 2020. And he was like, oh, he was just like, should we expect a career change from you or something? Like, you really like this stuff. You really love this stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I don't know what I'm going to name my Instagram. You know, that's the handle, all the name and the branding. And my best friend, same best friend was like, hey, it's you're Nod and you like to drink wine. So Nod Wines. And that's how it came to be. Um, and really it was like, Hey, you know, I realized people are asking me questions about the wine that I drink and I'm very good at convincing people selling, I guess you could say, (laughs) and talking that I was like, you know what, like this will help me journal the wines that I'm drinking. Mm -hmm. It'll help, um, just reinforce my learning, uh, putting definitions out there. And then, you know, who knows, maybe I'll connect with some people, um, and yeah, a year later, it's like, I think I'm just about under 5,000 followers and they're all genuine connections that I've made. And it's like, oh, people do care. And when I meet people in public, they're like, oh my God, you're Nadia. I love your content. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's so that's cool. Awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. Okay. So two questions for you then. Okay. Um, does anybody in your family call you a wine snob now? No, actually, they don't. They God, don't. What a supportive environment. What's wow. that like? Yeah. Maybe I'm doing a good <laughs> job with like, hey, these are chill wines. It's super, yeah. yeah. Um, they, I do get, like if I'm going to a friend's house and maybe they're like, oh, we'll kick dinner. Have Nadia bring the wines. I don't want to pick the wines for yeah. Nadia. Like, I get that a lot, which I'm yeah. totally fine with. I'll bring the wine every time, um, even if it's not dinner and I'm just coming over. I will always bring the wine. <laughs> um 
But yeah, and I think a lot of my family is just like, oh, this is wine that I've never had before. Um, I'm learning something new and then I start to ramble. So I don't know if they're really like, I think, I don't know if they're just drinking the wine or if they're actually listening, but either way, I'm spreading the love. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So question number two okay. is, is natty wine an acceptable term? Um. I don't, you know, I used to use it more and now that I'm like in it, I don't use it as much. Um, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go with no. Once you mature in it, it's no longer, it's no longer it was kosher. Like, yeah, that, I guess. Is that yeah, right? Is that, sort of like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm thinking is that, that like, like calling San Francisco Frisco? You know what? I think that is. Yeah. Cause once I live here, it's like, oh, it's the city. Or SF. Yeah. But like Frisco, I feel like, yeah. yeah, when I didn't live here, I called it that. Yeah, that's interesting how that works. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. I mean, I always feel like my eyes roll into the back of my head when someone calls it Natty Wine. So I just wanted to, you know, see uh, what that what that was really, really looking like um, from a from a professional standpoint. That's funny about <laughs> that. It's like it hits a it hits like a very um a nostalgic part of my brain hearing hearing the word natty um just because i i in college i drank a lot of like natty light natty ice and natty yeah. ice <laughs> Same. actually Same. A, a lot more natty ice than i did light to be fair <laughs> um and so uh natty wine just to go oh yeah it's, it feels like home <laughs> yeah yeah no i remember those days and all the different beer games and i guess that, that's where my mind goes too so then maybe it separates in my brain almost like no no it's not that please don't think that this is different right but, you know <laughs> i just make a I just make an association with almost kind of like a bro like mentality you know yeah. where when when you hear that you're just kind of like like all right bro settle down like this is yeah. you know I don't, I don't need to hear all these things um chris question for you what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking an orange wine uh, this evening. Uh, wow. Orange Orangerie. That's my that's my amazing French accent uh, from uh, Union Sache. Uh, it is a, an orange wine of Gewurztraminer. If forty days on skin, yeah. uh, it is fucking stunning. I love this wine. This is hands down one of my favorite wines uh, of all time. Uh, this would probably be my desert island wine if I had a desert island wine. I, I don't, but um, this stuff is freaking fantastic. Um, and it's a being Gewurztraminer too. It's you know most people know Gewurztraminer as being like that sweet German wine. Um, you know, dessert, tons of sugar on it. Uh, almost, almost on the border of being an ice wine. Um, you could take all that that you, you those assumptions about conversamina and just throw it out the window with this wine. It it has a lot of the same sort of textural structure and a little bit of the same flavor flavor profile, but with the skins uh, for forty days, uh, like it just strips so much of that and adds a ton more depth. Um, creates creates like this mid palate off bitter quality to it but that's like washed out by like this juiciness it's just freaking lovely um and it blows my mind every time i open a bottle and uh and i 
I was really excited to find this in my wine collection tonight as I was like looking through of like, okay, what am I going to drink? I don't know. Uh, and I pull, I like, I moved the bottle out of the way and I was like, oh, yup. <laughs> like that. Oh, uh, 40 days. That sounds great. so bomb. Yeah. So there must be, is it pretty tannic? Uh, it's not, it's not incredibly tannic. It has like, it has a touch, um, mm-hmm. but like, it doesn't make the inside of my lips kind of like scream. Uh, it tight, like, it's not, it's not like a Napa cab, right? Where it's like your whole mouth just goes and then like opens mm-hmm. back up from the tannins. Um, it is acidic. It's very, it's, it's quite acidic. Um, cause it, it like, it makes me salivate quite a bit. Um, which I think I really enjoy in wines personally. Um, Same. that means it like there's there's a lot of like like sweet wines and whatnot that i also like you know like german rieslings from the mosul um but this mm-hmm. stuff coming from uh uh paso robles also the winemaker uh i met him one time he was supposed to come in for like 15 minutes and we i think we like we hung out for three hours and we were just like shooting the shit he was just like one of those guys that like you meet and then all of a sudden you're like oh we're homies like we didn't know each other but now we're just we're just homies um and we just we just had a blast i think we crushed like four bottles of wine in that like three hours that was supposed to be like 15 minutes it was it was great um i've been meeting to get down there but like i met him right before covid um and it's still it's still high on my list to take the whole the whole good bottle team down to Paso for like a field trip. Um just like visit Tin City and and like go visit X down here. It'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I haven't been to Paso yet. Um I passed passed through Paso uh, on my way to Pismo <laughs> uh, a couple months ago. But yeah, it's one of the wine regions that I'm like, I just need to carve out some time and just dive in. There's some, I've connected with uh, several wineries down there. So it's just, there's nothing like being there in person and really feeling that terroir and just being there. Um, so I'd really like to do that this year. Yeah, it's, it's high on my list as well. Drew, uh, uh, what are you pouring down your gullet? Uh, well, I think I'm, I'm keeping it in, in the same vein and, um, I'm actually not drinking it right now, but I drank it the other day, but I wanted to feature it nonetheless. Um, and it's the hang 11, 2020 Chardonnay from hollow wines. <laughs> and, um, this is, it's, it's funny cause this was, uh, this was, a the producer of this, uh, or the producers, Quinn and Allison, uh, Hobbs, I had met. Quinn through Clubhouse of all things, and when we were talking about Georgian wine, and so I got brought in to talk about Georgian wine a little bit, and you know how that is a natural process. And then um, he had messaged me after, and he was just like, "Hey, I really like to try some of these," and so we're trying to find a way to connect. And then about two weeks ago, and of course we'll share, I'll share a photo of this um, uh, on our Instagram. I saw this bottle pop up, and. So I don't know if you guys recognize who this is, but it's, it's Bill Murray as the character Steve Zizou in The Life Aquatic, which is my favorite movie of all time. So I see this uh-huh. bottle and I immediately lose my mind because I'm like, well, I need all of those. <laughs> and then I click on on this. Uh, it, it was like an Instagram ad or something like that. And it showed like Hollow Wines. I was like, I know what Hollow Wines is. So I go to their website instead of buying it through this third party and... 
got a got a few bottles of that and then quinn sent me a couple other ones as well because he was like oh no i'm gonna send you uh a few more things because your industry and in fact he sent me a mystery bottle that that chris will eventually sit down and we'll try to guess what the hell is in it and he won't he won't tell me he's just like, like what's the fun in that but um <laughs> but this is this is super fun so they're out of lompoc and uh they use wild yeast seven day skin contact um unrefined un unfiltered uh, uh he also it's also vegan which you know i always get a kick out of that when it comes to wines and spirits and all that fun stuff yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> a partial malolactic fermentation and then um it's just it's just a really cool story i mean he uh quinn was was kind of going if you read if you go to their website he was kind of going down this path where he wasn't really healthy and stuff like that and then um just kind of did like a about face on his life and ended up really getting into the natural wine and then he ended up producing this really really fun um this fun chardonnay that at first i didn't know if i was going to like it because i had not had a chardonnay grape yet that with some skin contact on it um but also you know in the ultimate litmus test my wife caitlin also loved it so you know there's always a little bit of a risk when i pour the natural stuff you know because you just don't know what you're really going to get and um, both of us really walked away and it's it's that it's the same uh it's like we're getting into that point where it's getting really hot and it's not completely taken over yet where the heat's out outrageous so you get a little body from it as well and mm-hmm. i just always get a kick out of seeing all kinds of sediment float around my wine bottle and um and of course the packaging is just it, i love it so much I just, I'm probably gonna have to buy more because I love that movie so much. And I don't even know how he got away with it, but he's using Bill Murray's face on his bottles. So good, <laughs> good for him. But oh, yeah, that wine sounds delicious. I, I think for, for, for our listeners who, who might not know, the reason uh, wine, wine um, will put vegan on their, on their labels because one of the, one of the finding techniques that happens uh, that gets used pretty often is using egg whites to remove sediment from uh from wines um and so when you put vegan on there you know that there's no egg white being used in in that methodology so so it is a, it, it is a term that carries a little bit more weight than i think what drew was referring to is sort of like the gluten-free phenomenon in spirits you know um that doesn't quite mean as much um is that would that be accurate drew i'm willing to believe you well, thank you. Yeah, That's kind of you. I'd say, That's... I believe you too. I have a question for you. So what was it about specifically natural wines? You know, cause I, I talked to a lot of sommelier friends who, uh, among many reasons that they turn up their nose, specifically turn up their nose at the, at the concept of natural wines. So what was it specifically about natural wines that really like captured your, your imagination and your enthusiasm? Uh, you know, it's funny that um, Drew's drinking Chardonnay or talked about a Chardonnay because that is that's that that's where it started. Um, I was at a wine tasting, it was a natural wine tasting, and I was like, "Oh, this is delicious!" I've never had Pet Nat, which is naturally sparkling wine. For those of you that don't know, um, I I was like, "Oh, this is really cool!" Learning about that process, I was able to ask a lot of questions from the winery. They were super welcoming. Um, I didn't feel dumb asking questions. So I was like, "Okay, these people are cool." Um, and then I remember walking away, going to my next tasting, and I was like, "Oh, what what grape was that, by the way?" And they were like Chardonnay, and I was like, "What?" Chardonnay can taste like that. And I think, you know, being born and raised in, in from California, you 
you're used to the over oaked, um, the mm. over ripe, um, these huge bombs of Chardonnays that it was just you know, never, like I would, you know, when you're at a wedding or like some reception, it's like, there's a red and the white and there's always that Chardonnay. And I'm like, oh, never. Um, but having a Chardonnay that could be, that can be acidic and was uh, grown in a cool, t cool climate temperature. There was just so much about it that I was like, whoa, like I was just so used to putting wine in certain varietals in certain boxes. And the fact that that the fact that it was a pet nat, the fact that it was a Chardonnay, it just like blew all of what I knew, um, every box that I had just blew them open. Um, and then that's what really got me that I was like, wow, a Merlot can, you know, be really juicy and less drying. There was just, there were just, uh, it was just, there was just more to learn. You know, I just feel like I'm the type of person that I get bored easily. Um, so the fact that it was like, hey, you know, these are out of the box um, wines, uh, and then the, the, the people were more welcoming. Um, so I felt like it was just not just the juice in the glass, but also the culture, uh, built around these wines that I was like, Hey, th there's something different here and not enough people know about it. That's rad. That's, that's really fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. there's, there's just, there's so much truth to that as well, because I mean, even being, uh, you know, a little, a little bit further into like into all the different like natural wines. Cause we have like, you know, like I said, all the Georgian wine that we, that we've drank and, yeah. and stuff like that. Even when I saw this and saw Chardonnay, I, I was still taken back. I was like, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like this, what am I about to drink here? You know? And it just right. ended up being, this is, this is my favorite Chardonnay of all time. Like it's just, it's not close. And I, and I know that if I, let's say I gave this to my mother-in-law, she would not feel the same way. Um, right. you know, it's still, <laughs> she wants that, that buttery stuff. And there's, there's, there's obviously room, uh, room in the industry for, for all of it, but it is, right. uh, yeah, this is why we're going to get along because you have that natural curiosity as well, where you're kind of like, no, I need to know all the things about this. Like you can't just drop these bombs on me and then walk away. Right. Right. Then I just like fell into the rabbit hole and there was just every wine I had to like take pictures of and then Google and find out more about the winemaking process. Um, for these specific wines. And I think that's that's really what opened up my mind to um, this winemaking style, this process and the origins of it. And I'm like, is it new? Is it old? Is it a return to the past? There's just so much history there um, and a lot of stories to be told. Yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing about, about natural wine, right? Is just the interpretations of different people. It's like for a lot of us, it's, it is a, a pretty new phenomenon. And then, you know, then you talk to some of these wine producers and other parts of the world. And they're just kind of like, you like, you mean winemaking? Like just, just winemaking, right? Or like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't, right. <laughs> you don't do anything. They're like, yeah, you're talking about winemaking. Why are you calling it natural? This doesn't make any sense to me. And you're just kind of like, oh, well, and then, you know, I, I don't know when your moment was, but I remember some, at some point last year, having this really, really horrible wine from California and then being a little tuned up and asking that, that question on Facebook of like, why does this taste like this? Why is this so horrible? And then I got a private message kind of be like, because they add a ton of sugar to it and this is going to make you feel horrible tomorrow. And I, and coming from the spirits world, that's something that we're so used to seeing like, you know, with rums and, and different, different things. It's like, you know, you see all this manipulation constantly. I mm -hmm. never thought that you would see that in wine. It just didn't seem like there was room in the, in the process for it. But then of course you're like, Oh wait, no, this really does matter quite a bit. And to the point where, 
you know, if you drink, if you drink a high or if I drink a highly manipulated wine at this point, like, like I can't even put it down. I'm just like, I'm like, this is disgusting. I got to get rid of this. I, I can't even yeah. do it anymore. I mean, it happens so yeah, often. They, they even have a fancy name for it. It's dosage, man. Ooh, dosage. That is, that is true. It sounds so there sexy. Is of, there is a lot of <laughs> there is a lot of dosage. Um, um, okay, well, I think it's time for our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so we're going to keep it in the natural wine talk, which is um, oddly enough appropriate, right? And um, <laughs> and this is this is a story about uh, fine wine importer Ronnie Sanders of Vice Street Imports, which is one of the biggest wine uh, importers, is going to be importing uh, Pasolacao brands, Calicarius, and Nine is Enough from Italy, and these are all natural wines um and this is the biggest natural wine producer in italy um his goal is to take natural wine out of this quote-unquote niche market and bring it to the mainstream um saying that natural wine is for everyone so this is going to be uh this is going to be going into a lot more stores potentially even grocery stores which you know Listen to last week's episode. We talked a lot about grocery wines, grocery store wines versus like bottle shop wines. But um, so Nadia, when you read this story and you just kind of saw some of the players that were involved with this, is there is there a level of excitement that you feel as like this really big enthusiast for natural wine, or is there kind of like the punk rock? Don't tell everybody how cool it is. <laughs> What's what are your thoughts on that? You know. I'd say my first initial thing was, I, yay, I'm happy. You know, this is going to improve access. A lot of people ask me, hey, where can I find natural wine? Um, or they'll send me pictures. Hey, I got this at Safeway or I got this at Ralph's. And I'm like, yeah, no, that that that, that can't be natural. you know. Um, but I think I, I like the fact that it would be to a broader market. Um, also, I think they can get lost in the pool of grocery store wines because if you don't know what you're looking for, you're just kind of shopping by label or maybe by region and it's just there on the shelf. Um, but I like the fact that it's going to be accessible by more people. Um, people may not have to seek out these boutique wine shops, which I totally love and I love you know, um, bottle shops and family owned, uh, businesses, but also some people just aren't going out of their way to go find those places. Um, so if there's a way that they can try natural wine, almost open up that door for them at their grocery store, then maybe that'll get those wheels turning, maybe let them fall down the rabbit hole. And then they'll start seeking out, seeking out on, you know, wine lists and bottle shops in their areas. Um, I mean, I'm in the Bay. You guys are in Sac. There's a lot of different like fun, you know, wine shops. But when it comes to some people where the grocery store is their only stop or their only point of access to wine, uh, I think it would be cool that they have access to that. Yeah. No, I think there's there's a tremendous amount of truth to that. Um, one of the, the stores that I actually mentioned last week that, that I picked up a wine from, um, I went back there and had to pick up a couple that that my wife had tried that he hadn't had in yet. And I remember one of the, um, one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, you walk into this wine shop 
it's the only thing in there and it's a bunch of stuff that you don't recognize right and i know one of the things that you've talked about so far is like destigmatizing wine and making it more mm-hmm. approachable and stuff and sometimes as beautiful as some of these bottle shops might be it's like the last thing anybody wants to feel is stupid when they're when they're shopping for alcohol right yeah and so and not and that's not to say that any of these store owners are making people feel stupid in fact I oh no I that's my specialty people, well, it's I mean, like, that also very, very a, good at that. That's... Well, I mean, but I think for you know a lot of a lot of people that they're you know they want to be invited, they want people to shop with them and stuff like that. But if you know, it can be an intimidating um, space because you're just kind of like, mm-hmm. like, I don't recognize any of this. I don't know what questions to ask or anything like that. Whereas if you're at the grocery store, you know, you're kind of you're often led to your own devices and what uh how much how much reading you're willing to put in while you're going down the wine aisle is you know varies from person to person, right? So, right. um, so Chris, uh, for you, what, what are some of your thoughts when, when you read this article? Is it, is, is the, is the punk rock band getting too big for you or are you excited about this as well? Uh, you know, it's funny that, that you do say that my, my initial reaction was actually being pretty excited. I was like, Oh shit, these look dope. Like, uh, uh, not only just like the packaging, but then, um, I was going in and reading, reading about the winemaker and reading, uh, reading about her philosophy in terms of winemaking um, and how she puts together her, she, uh, she has several different brands that that she puts out, and, and and each of them is very, very intentionally driven in very specific like philosophical ways. Which is, I mean, that was it's kind of rad, you know, not just like well, this is going to go to the grocery store and this is going to go here, but like she like some of them are masculine and some of them are feminine and some of them are very like thought driven. Um, and to create these wines that like produce that experience that perhaps she is, you know, she's thinking of as she's making the wine. That intention always makes me like want to want to at very least like dive in and go like, yeah, let's try this. Let's see. Let's see if I get inquisitive when I drink this. Let's see if I feel if I feel, you know mathematical or something you know like i i always enjoy winemakers that have a a sort of a a wider scope other than like we've got more grapes let's make more wine um yeah but but on the other hand as someone who who has experienced uh going through cocktail culture and watching cocktail culture go from being like this hyper snobby thing to being a very like cultish thing to now being completely mainstream. And, and the problem with cocktail culture now is that we won, you know, we won the battle. We, we got all these people to drink these really cool things. And now it's just sort of so mainstream that people don't even care anymore. Um, and that's always the fear with like taking something that's like, that's kind of cool. That's a subculture. That's pretty dope. And then, and then making it go mainstream. It's like, well, then it, maybe it loses a little, a little bit of that like glamor that just made it so special. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you want, I mean, I'm always going to be of the mindset that I want all these people to be successful. You know, I don't, I don't want to like um, preserve poverty for tradition or you know yeah. stuff like that yeah. where it's just like no like these these people this is a business we want them to do well and things like that and this is the biggest natural wine producer um in italy so I, they're they're doing well so far but one of the things that also stood out to me in this article was they did a little summary of both the winemaker 
and um, and the importer. And one of the things that I've started to to notice when it comes to natural wine production, and I'm sure Nadia, you can talk about this further, is that it's it, yes, we're talking about low intervention, right? We're, we're we're letting we're letting the grape or these producers are letting the grape like be the be the main star, but it goes so much further than that. And one of the things that that she's very conscious of in terms of the winemaker is that she's also very concerned about everybody who works for her and wants to be very transparent about all of her sustainable practices and stuff to the point where she invites, um, she has a labor union rep on site at all times. And she welcomes that. And, uh, and even with the wine that I'm drinking tonight with the, um, like there's a big emphasis on the sustainability and the labor practices and and things like that. And it's kind of cool to know that it's not, it's not just like this one aspect of it that makes it like everything is kind of being considered in it. You know, it's, it's not just the, the wine process, but it's the people are involved in taking care of those people and making sure that not only is this wine sustainable, but their lifestyles are sustainable and everybody's benefiting from it. So I don't know if, if that's something that's ever stuck out to you, Nadia, about, about, natural wine but i feel like that's a theme that you just kind of see like over and over again yeah. it's not just about the wine it's that's it's everything that goes into it yes of course i mean that's part of um, my draw to natural wine too um they're not just you know taking care of these producers are not just taking care of the land taking care of the earth but in other ways too so like yes letting the grapes do its thing but also finding sustainable methods for um you know, hand, making sure the grapes are hand-picked, um, not uh, putting anything into the vineyard that, you know, naturally wouldn't grow there. Um, and then on the other end, taking care of their employees, um, finding ways to be better in that regard. And I think that's something that when I sat down, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to create this blog. I want to promote. I had to really think about what is it about natural wine besides like drinking it in the community around wine and all that, because you can find that in anywhere. Um, but really it was this, um, this lifestyle that it promotes and in all different facets. Right. Um, I feel like on, you know, the consumer end, I'm like, I can still maintain my active lifestyle. It's not, you know, I'm not these, whatever's in this bottle, all the additives or, you know, intervention processes are not affecting like how I feel and how I'm able to be active still, um, you know, wake up in the morning early and work and all these things. I'm not saying they, they totally don't give you hangovers because you need to hydrate, but I just feel like in terms of like that and there's just so many kind of lifestyle pieces to it. Um, and I'm actually, so I'm on the uh, advisory board for a nonprofit that is about social justice within natural wine. So really creating this code behind, um, you know, this is how you treat people. Like anybody, especially the, actually the producer that I'm drinking today, they've signed this pledge and the pledge is saying, hey, we're not only um, taking care of the land and the earth and the grapes and the crop, but the people around us. So are the people that work for us getting health insurance? Uh, are they work, Are they getting paid a living wage, um, whether that be in the uh, vineyard, on the retail side? Um, there's just so many different facets of it that kind of these building blocks that create the natural wine culture um, that just I really, I really dig. I'm really into. What's the name of that uh, nonprofit? The Vinguard. Oh, that's yes, fun. We, yeah. that's a good one. 
Yeah, yeah. We actually just had a wine wine fair this past weekend. Um, and these were usually it's a wine fair is women in natural wine. And it's a huge, you know, tasting in person where everyone's tasting wine from different women producers um, from all over the globe. It's usually in San Francisco, but this year we went virtual. And so there were a lot of panels. And so I moderated a panel on um, uh, BIPOC women experiences in natural wine. So it was everything from that to winemakers tasting with other winemakers to Alice Fearing, which is, you know, she's a wine writer. Um, she hosted a panel said, you know, natural wine changed the world. Now what? So seeing all these international voices come together to stand for, okay, it's not just like, yeah, this wine is so damn good. But outside of that, like, how can we make our lives better? And um, the people around us, you know, nurture them and like, you know, make the world a better place. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's just there's there's obviously a lot of a lot of upheaval that's happening across multiple industries. But I think one of the mm -hmm. one of the great things about um, the alcohol industry right now is that there has been a lot of bullshit for years and years and years. And it's just kind of like, nope, not anymore. People are being called out who should be called out and changes are being made and people are getting platforms now where it's um it's just, it's a really, it's, it's a fun time and there's still lots of work to do. It's by no means uh, perfect or anything like that, but that's also, you know, continuing to have every single one of these conversations and get exposed to all this different stuff. I mean, um, one of my favorite wines is, um, is Baez wine, which is out of Georgia. And it's made by this woman who's, who's, I think she's 24. Five now, but when she started, she was 22, 21, and was just trying to bring wine production back to her to her part of uh, of Georgia. And it's just like it's really cool to see that. It's really cool to see like this really um, rapid growth and embracing of that. So, um, so we'll definitely have to keep our eye on the Vanguard because not only is that a great name, but it's a great name. <laughs> it's a really really fun fun choice. Um, so. So now I do have this question for you, um, and and I and I I love this one because I think it, I think it can be really really helpful for a lot of our listeners. But so let's say you're at a restaurant and you're looking at a wine list, and it can be very intimidating. I know I've been in that position before, but uh, do you have? any tips that you've developed over, over the past year? Because if it's not completely blatant that this is a natural wine, I mean, what are some of the things that you're looking for when it comes to, or it even to be in the store? Like if you do find yourself in a situation where you're like, Oh my God, I can only go to Safeway. There are no other bottle stores, you know, around here, bottle shops around here. But do you have any tips for our listeners kind of be like, Hey, this is a, this is a good way to find a good wine that is maybe not full of, all, all the junk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things, so it depends on where I'm shopping. So if I'm come, I just, I'm walking into a new shop and I don't know what to choose. Um, I usually flip the bottle over and see where it's from or who's importing it or who's bringing it in. Um, and I usually 
that's kind of a connection that I get from, you know, drinking wine in places. So if I get one maybe at, at a restaurant or a wine bar and I'm like, oh, this is really good. This ended up being really good. I'll just take a picture of the back and then remember like, hey, I'm going to take this shopping with me. Um, I'm also the very annoying person that will ask all the questions. So the Psalm better know their shit because I will ask all the questions. <laughs> because I mean, that's what they're there for. I think, um, I think, being educated about what we're putting into our bodies, whether it be, you know, organic produce, um, you can look at wine the same way. I definitely look at wine as an agricultural product. Um, I mean, I could probably consume as much of it as I do leafy green vegetables. So, I mean, I really look at it in terms of like, okay, I'm going to ask people. Um, I, I feel like, you know, when I was in college, there was like no, like no one cared about the organic produce at the grocery store. No one did. It was just like, oh, that was more expensive for no reason. Um, and there was no education behind it. So actually back to um, kind of what we were talking about with um, the importers and having these natural wines just in the grocery stores. I think that's the part, I think that's the part that I get a little bit sad about because I think that education piece can be lost. Um because I, I, I think that's what makes these wines special. And maybe it's just me being like a geek about it, that I'm just like so excited about the um, the education, the what makes them different rather than just like another good wine. Um, yeah. Yeah, I that, that reminds me of um, a bottle of wine that I actually sold to Chris at, at Good Bottle. And um, a couple went in there, bought it, did not enjoy it. And we're like, okay. I'm never drinking Georgian wine again. And I just wanted to be like, no, give me their number. I need to like tell them why this is cool. And then I'll give them other options. Please don't write off this entire country because, you know, right. for whatever reason, that taste profile didn't, didn't jive with them. And it was just kind of like, okay, well now I, now we're never going to drink anything from this country again. And you're just kind of like, it, that was devastating to hear that. That yeah. was like this this one wine that because because it does take that education and and everything that that you're about with the storytelling it's such a huge part of of wine right is just knowing where it came from and um and everything that is behind it where it's just so like it's like cool anytime you know anything more about something you're gonna appreciate it that much more right yeah so I I think that's uh. I think that's really great. Um, Chris, is, is there is there a question that you think you should ask every psalm if you find yourself in that situation? Is there like a standard question to kind of be like, okay, this person's full of it or not? Uh, oh, that's a big question. Um, I assume that everyone, let's say, that's coming to my table to serve me is full of it. Um, even, <laughs> even if they know what they're talking about. And I say that because, uh, 90% of my answers, whenever I was serving tables were all bullshit answers, you know, like they, they were, they were like canned answers, you know? So it's like, I have a yeah. Rolodex of answers that I'm used to that, like would get a laugh or would get like people to just like order something real fast. Right. Um, I think it really depends on the restaurant that you're in. And so you have to really be able to like read the room. You know, there's, uh, you know, here in Sacramento, we have like Ella dining, right. The, the Ella dining room, or we have like water boy, you know, like those servers do not run away. They are not, you know, they have like four tables max. They are there to like cater to you and make sure that you are set. 
versus like if you ever came to the Red Rabbit when when I was working there, like it was turn and burn, baby. Like we were just moving, you know. So you asked me a question, I'm like, oh, that shit is dope. You need to get it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> Or just like, no, 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 don't get that one. Get this one. And then someone would ask me why. I'd be like, because it's better. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I'd be like, great. And I'd go out and pour it for them, right? So it's like turn and burn. Um, so I think you have to like, A, read the room uh, as to where you are. Uh, if you have, you know, we talked last week a lot about the Florissom and how how rare that is. Um, that th- there just aren't that many Florissoms anymore in, in restaurants. And it sommeliers, if they if they aren't doing that managerial role, if they get to actually just be a sommelier, um, then they can sit there and they can talk to you and they can they can just spit knowledge at you. And so from that perspective, I, I would say any question, any question with a follow up question should produce at least some bullshit meter in your head. You know, if, if someone's saying something and then you you say, hey, can you can you expand on this topic? And if they can't, then you know that they're just sort of making it up as they go. And then at that and at that moment, you just get up and leave. And no, then you either decide that you're going to drink it or not. <laughs> just know. get a cocktail, no wine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shot of mezcal, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. <that's>, right. <laughs> that's the way that's the way to do it. Yo. Uh. Okay, so we just assaulted you with 48 minutes of mostly natural wine talk. Um, so now we're going to bring it back to the conglomerates. And this next story is talking about the potential of the major mergers no longer being a thing. And what I'm talking about is we have some pretty big companies in the spirits world. Diageo, um, Brown Foreman, Jim Beam, Pernod Ricard. And there's been lots of mergers over the past couple of years. And one that one that's being floated around right now is the combination or the merger of Brown Foreman and Pernod Ricard. Um, Brown Foreman, probably most well known for Jack Daniels, um, Pernod Ricard, maybe Bacardi, would we say? For, no, no, no. For I, them? No, I, I'd say absolute or Ooh, there you go. Yeah. Pernod yeah. or Jameson. There you go. So, okay. so those are some of the some of the major brands on, underneath both of them. And um, now this is this would be a very ambitious buy, and it would be somewhat difficult to pull off because they're um, because they are still both family owned, both companies, even though they are publicly traded. And I was looking at some of I was looking at some of the numbers here, and they're they of course have some different valuations at, at what they're at right now. But if Pernod was buying Brown Foreman, we're looking at a $37 billion purchase, right? So this is pretty, pretty ridiculous numbers. And then if you look at Brown Foreman buying Pernod, Pernod is currently valued higher. Um, this would be a $58 billion purchase if Brown Foreman was to do that. Um, so some of the things that they talk about within it, of course, the there is there's the risk of like a monopoly and things like that. If these, if this purchase would even be allowed to go through, there's not a whole lot of cross pollination between the two suppliers. So they, they, there are people who think this could happen, but I find this interesting because we've seen a lot of things um, consolidate over the past couple of years, 
right? Whether it's distributors buying smaller distributors and rounding out, rounding out parts of their portfolio or suppliers going out and buying lots of different brands. I mean, earlier this year, we had MGP uh, buying a bunch of their own brands and, and I, and I look at it and it's just kind of like, it's like, okay, that's, that's really cool. But then a lot of smaller brands kind of get lost in that shuffle. Right. And with all that being said, I mean, when you, when you look at this from the outside looking in, Nadia, do you see these major, like a, another major merger as a good thing? Because then maybe it forces people to go seek out some of the smaller stuff or, um, I don't know. I just, I just thought this was interesting. And like, even just like the thought process of billion dollar transactions between, between major companies was something worth talking about. So I don't know. What were, what were some of your thoughts as you read through this article? Yeah, no, I mean, really the numbers jumped out at me. I just, I don't know that part of the industry very well. I'm not very familiar. So to like walk through and be like, dang, that's a lot of money. And this is, these portfolios are really large too. Just kind of walking through what that would look like. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, right? Because I am a champion for, you know, uh, small businesses and small producers and all of that. So to look at the merger, it's like, oh, that might, it, there's the two sides, right? Because like putting that together, it's like, dang, now they like monopolize and they own everything. Um, and maybe some people will just be like, oh, that's easy. I, they're accessible. I know the names. I'm just going to go for it. But then there's folks like, like us or whatever that love the other side. I'm like, it'll push us the other way right? We're going to dig deeper. We're going to look for the smaller brands. We're going to look for, you know, ask questions at the bottle shop and here and there. So it's just very interesting because um, I definitely see two sides to it. Um, like we talked about accessibility earlier. Um, I mean, there's no problem with accessibility there with these big names. <laughs> uh, so I just, I don't know. I just wonder if it's, does it make sense for either of these companies with all of the, it? It's, it reads, it's complicated. Um, there's a lot in there, but right now, like the interest rates are low and there's just, there's a world of possibilities, especially coming out of this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, that, that's, that's very, I mean, like we, we had a big, we, we had a big buyout just a, a month and a half ago in California where Southern wine spirits bought Epic wines and, you know, Epic had this, no pun intended, really epic wine portfolio, you know, and they had a bunch of other really cool spirits too. And what we've seen with that is that a lot of that wine went to Southern. Um, but then there was a lot of brands who have been kind of just left holding the bag and they have nowhere to go. And uh, it's putting people in a lot of hard positions. Some of them are actually self-distributing now. So it's, mm. you know, when you have these, like, you know, at first you might be like, oh, this is really great. And then you find out that like, oh, you're not part of the merger. So you're out, you know, you, you go fend for yourself and you just, you know, kind of, it's, it's a bummer for, for anybody who's not at the top of that list. Um, Chris, I thought you would get really excited about this because there was, there's all kinds of um, projecting that goes on in this article. Also, all the figures that we saw were all in Euro. So I had to convert those. So I made sure to put the time in and converted it from Euros to US dollars. So that way we could really resonate with us. But um, what were some of your thoughts on when, as you read through this? I mean, the general thesis of, of this article and, and, and the sort of conversation that's happening in there is that um, you don't see many more coming down, coming down the pipe, right? What, 
A, is that because a lot of them have already merged and therefore it's like how many more can merge before before Monopoly gets put on them? Uh, but then on the other hand, they're not they're not going to merge together, but there's so many small brands out there. And we see this with like Gallo and we see it with ABBev, right, where they're they're buying up small breweries, they're buying up small wineries um and they're they're consolidating in in that way and and that's not necessarily a good thing not necessarily a bad thing right like we've talked before about about Gallo uh investing in in uh people of color talking about women brands uh uh you know new conversations new producers that deserve to have like not just their story told, but like create a new story within the industry to make it more interesting. Right. And so people, companies like Gallo companies like ABBev have that money that they can, they can spend. And it doesn't necessarily matter if those companies turn a profit in the first like two years, three years. Right. But they also have the resources that would help them, turn a profit in the first three years as well. Um, so it's an, it's an interesting concept, right? Like are, are companies going to start merging? I mean, when I, when I read just in theoretically that, that Pernod Ricard and Brown Foreman were looking at it, like that was mind boggling to me. I was like, Oh my God, that's, that's two behemoths like merging, you know, to create a super group that just, I, who can compete with that? You know, they have every at that point in time, they would have every sector of the market completely covered um, with Pernod Ricard's international reach, their distribution systems internationally and what they they're able to do um, across many continents and then. At more importantly, actually, in sort of the the airports and like the the non governmental, uh, less restricted areas, so like your your um, duty free shops and stuff like that, like Pernod Ricard crushes in those, and Brown Foreman has a strong foothold in a lot of that as well. But I mean, the fact that these companies don't really have like comp- competing um brands you know you're like you have jack daniels and then you have jameson right and so you have tennessee whiskey and then you have an irish whiskey like they don't they're both giant names right everybody knows them and i guess i like if you if you know at least something about booze you know that they're not similar whiskeys but if you don't know a lot about booze and you just go out to the bar once every other week and you're sticking to like your two brand names those are probably your two brand names that you're sticking to like if you don't got one you probably got another and i'll take either one of them right uh in which case i don't know brown perno what do we call it? what do we call the super group <laughs> perno brown i don't know uh, um um you know, they would profit either way. Um, what was interesting about about that merger that we talked about before with Southern purchasing Epic was that uh, the difference is, is, at least in the United States, we're talking about like a supplier versus a distributor. 
suppliers are, you know, are the companies themselves. They are the groups that own the companies. Uh, they are the people, the families that produce the things. Distributors in in the United States, there has to be a three tier system, right? So there's there has to be a, a supplier to a distributor um, to a point of sale, whether it be a bar, whether it be a, a store. Um, now, sometimes you can self distribute. That's a whole little gray area there as well. But um, distributor buying another distributor. The Epic, the Epic merger uh, or buyout, a lot of those companies that were part of Epic, that was that smaller distributor, didn't want to go to Southern, right? Because that's a that's the giant. That is the largest distributor in the United States. And they're going from a, a tiny little distributor where they get, you know, their handheld, they get they get special treatment to a giant distributor where theoretically they get lost in the warehouse, you know, and they can't, they can't pay um, the sales reps to be able to like go on focus for a month. You know, they can't offer, offer bonuses and whatnot for selling cases of their booze. So, I mean, the, the whole sales game when you're talking about mergers like this becomes incredibly fascinating. Yeah. And there's, there's some, I mean, there's some more like, you know, kind of mind bending numbers like, you know, so Jack Daniels is, is doing, what was it? 17 million liters a year sold. And then like in terms of like Jameson has one of the best on-premise coverages. And if not the best, I think it's 95%, which means that 95% of bars in the U S carry Jameson. Like that is insane. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and you know, again, we've, we've spent a majority of this podcast, you know, talking about, about natural wines and these really, really small producers. And I mean, and I mean, and I have one producer that does like 500 liters a year, you know, that's it. That that's all they're producing. And so, you know, and, but I think even the, the biggest one was that, you know, these two companies coming together, the way it was talked about in this article is that, you know, and then, you know, if they come together, maybe it'll finally be someone who can challenge the supremacy of Diageo, which is just insane. So it's like, so you need the number two and the number three company, you know, or potentially I think maybe it's like they're, they're both top five. Cause I think Jim B might be up there as well, but it's like, you know, you need these two companies to come in just to close the gap on the number one, you know, company with Diageo. So I don't know. I, I just think it, it was, this was a really fun um, article to article to read. And, and I think, uh, you know, whether or not it happens, which I, I still think that there's there's a lot of obstacles in the way for this to actually happen. And again, this is very speculative, but um, but there's more than enough small brands out there for us, right? So we can continue to geek out with each other and be like, no, we're gonna we're gonna stay small. We're gonna <laughs> think, we're gonna enjoy this stuff. I think in the in the current environment, one of the things that we've seen in the last like 15 years is that the the vacuum that was created by the absorption of smaller brands, specifically in spirits, and then also you've seen it in beer recently, um, is that when when those small brands become big brands, um, that leaves a vacuum that needs to be filled, right? So another small brand. As long as as long as there's not any roadblocks in terms of like laws or access to finances, um, small brands will continue to pop up 
that doesn't always make them good. That doesn't always mean that they're bad. It's just, you know, there's going to be a vacuum there when small brands get absorbed in. And I think that there's, I, I for one have always been a proponent and think that there's always room for honesty and quality, right? Like if something is honest and if something is made in, in with the focus of quality, there's always going to be a need for it. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening now. I mean, there's nuances in there, right? Like if the producer is also like an egotistical asshole, then like probably, probably not like, doesn't matter how (laughs) honest and, and how, how good the thing is. If people just don't like them, then fuck them. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, you see that in restaurants all the time, too. You know, like I, I think that, you know, you see restaurants opening, closing, like growing, getting huge. Um, and and as here in Sacramento specifically, the conversation since I've lived here has always been like an oversaturated restaurant market, you know. But I, I, I'm I'm just convinced that there's always room for for honest and quality. Which is why natural wine is so big right now. Yeah, That's and all I, you get. I, I think that that's, you know, like it it comes from, you know, like Nadia was saying, you know, that the new consumers, you know, the new age groups of people who came up giving a shit about like what they put in their bodies, you know, whether it be organic, whether it be, you know, vegan, people caring about their health and how they're consuming. Um, I think natural wine is, is really a, a a symptom of that like if we didn't have that with slow food and all that before like natural wine wouldn't wouldn't be able to like get off get off the ground and get running but the fact that we we have natural food co-ops and all this stuff like that yeah. um i i think that all that training and like and culture building over decades has like led to this point where where something like natural wines and orange wines become a thing and they become something that's sought after definitely in my store you know over the last six months uh people come in all the time asking for orange wines and asking for natty wines all the time yeah i think um to that same sentiment that folks are you know if the pasture has showed us anything i think a lot of us are paying more attention not just what's going in our bodies but where our money's being spent so they are looking to support you know these small producers just knowing what e- small producers small businesses um all of those things um seeing you know what the past year has done to all of us i mean i think a lot of us drank more than ever um but we also <laughs> you know maybe we're on limited some people are on limited budgets and really paying attention to you know their favorite neighborhood bagel shop closing um, because that was a fit, just maybe, just for maybe for the first time, being cognizant of that. And these are people's lives and stories and livelihoods, and maybe even like their dream. They're just putting it out there. So to support, you know, natural wine or bottle shops or mom and pop restaurants, um, mom and pop drugstores, whatever. Um, that's also um, the conscious consumer kicking in as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally on point. Because um, a lot of people, and, and not only just with limited budgets now, but I mean, if you think about how a lot of restaurants are right now and just being understaffed and, and whatnot, like you know that if you go out, you're you're going to be expect you're going to be experiencing a lot of delays and and things like that, and it's and it's to be expected because again, these these places are operating with with limited staff, so um, 
So making those conscientious decisions to kind of be like, okay, well, I'm only going to do this once a week because I can't sit at a restaurant every single night and have it be <laughs> 45 minutes to an hour and a half before I get any food. It's like, no, I'll do it once a week and I'll support the people I really want to support. But um, all right. So we're really going off the rails there. Uh, but I just thought this was a really great article and um, I think I'm good. I think, I, I think, I think I, I got out of my system what I wanted. So thank you guys. Got your answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay, so now time for my favorite part of the show, and it is our dope follows. And this is where we are going to tell you either about dope Instagram accounts, like Nodwines, or we're going to tell you about movies, books, maybe other podcasts, but don't go be pushing other podcasts on here. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can totally do that. Um, so... So, Nadia, who is your dope follow this week? Okay, so I'm going to have to plug a magazine that I work with um, because I'm really excited about the issue that's coming out. So nice. the Wine Zine, uh, the Wine Zine, you can find them on Instagram or thewinezine.co. This is, uh, I'm actually the assistant editor of this magazine, another relationship that built out of, um, you know, the internet um, and making connections over the past year. Um, I actually contribute to the magazine as well. So we just got the net issue five just came off the printer. It's being mailed out to pre-ordered folks. Um, and my story actually made the cover. So oh, shit. I'm really wow. excited. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll be posting about it on my Instagram soon. Um, it was, I, I pitched the story and the editor was like, do you want to write it? You seem like really involved and really invested. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll write it. Um, the uh, family that it's written about is in San Francisco. So I got to do everything in person, like masks and everything, but still interviewed in person. Um, we, the, the pictures came out beautiful and that actually leads to my next dope follow. The story is on the 280 project and that's spelt out the 280 project. Um, it is a, a partnership, um, a guy and a gal uh, and their family in San Francisco making wine out of Pinot Noir grapes grown in San Francisco at a community uh, ran farm. Um, so it's called, it's from at Alamany Farms. And yeah, so they're just kind of doing big things. They decided we're going to make wine and they're doing it. I mean, in their own apartment in San Francisco. And, you know, you know how small these spaces are. That's, That's great so about funny. that is uh, last week, last week, that was one of the dope follows as well from, uh, uh, from the girls that we had on. So that's, that's so, amazing. Oh, so, so, cool. so if, you, if you haven't paid attention to this, then you clearly need to go ahead and uh, uh, go yeah. follow all of them. Oh, that is so awesome. Yeah. So it's, so it's, it's given them now. I asked the girls last week this question and I have to ask you this question. Okay. The terroir of San Francisco. What do you think <laughs> it's going to contribute? <laughs> Uh, you know what? Besides, yeah, no, I have a lot of opinions about San Francisco. So. <laughs> uh, but because they're Pinot Noir grapes, I think that that um, the fog, who do they call the fog? I think his name's Carl. I think they've named him on Instagram now. The fog that in San Francisco, they actually have an Instagram account for him. But um, I think the fog, the cool climate, the coastal breeze would, I mean, produce wines that I like. You know, I, I like those kind of wines. Um 
grown in that terroir. So that being, uh, I'd love to see like a Pinot Noir out of there. I think it would be really cool to see what kind of Chardonnay could come out of that. We talked about Chardonnay earlier. So to come full circle, I wonder what kind of Chardonnay would grow in like a foggy, coastal-like um you know, small grid in city, but <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. Like we're just we're waiting just for all. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny that you just you you bring up that one. Um. Okay. So another another question for you because I just I can't get over like the the rocket strapping that has happened with you in this wine world. You know, like you just you just are kind of like I'm gonna do this. And then you kind of were like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. And then dad's like, nope, you're doing it. Like, go, go have fun with this. But like you go from, I mean, it would be less than a year and a half if, you know, less or definitely less than two. I'll say less than two. Kind of be yeah. like, I think I'm going to start an Instagram account. It's like to now you're an assistant editor for a wine magazine. And I know, I know that you said you had a day job. You didn't reveal what it was and we don't have to get into that, but it's like, but you're not like a daytime journalist either, you know? So it's like, right. it just, it just seems just kind of like, like, Oh, and by the way, I also just happen to be this, like, what has that experience been like? And then if you, and I do want to just like, if you have any advice for anybody else who's thinking about doing this, like what's like, what are some of the steps they should take? Yeah. Yeah. So in my day job, I do relationship management for a healthcare company. So my background, my degree is in social work. I used to be a social worker and I'm on the administration side. So something completely different. Yeah. Um, but when I decided to just do, I don't know, it was just, I'm really good at like planning and checklists and schedules. I love writing things down. It's just, it makes me feel really accomplished when I can, I'm going to check this off the box when we're done recording this. Um, but it's just, <laughs> yes. I like it. And it, for me, it's like a daily thing too. So I, I think it's all about organization and organizing and prioritizing your passions and making sure those balance. Because of course my day job is, especially now that things are opening back up, it is um, getting busier. Time management can get a little bit harder, but I know I just, just seeing, I don't know, I've impressed myself, I think, just seeing how much progress can be made and the power of cultivating relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, that has really just grown, I think, my brand um, in my digital and my digital community that I was like, no, no, no. If I can do this in, um, you know, the hell of a year that 2020 was, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold it sacred. So whatever it is, even if it's, I don't know if I'm every two hours, if I'm technically would like get out of my desk, out of Zoom and take a break, I'm on the side answering different, you know, wine emails. Um, I have, I used to feel like I um, had everything in separate compartments, but now this just is my life and it's my lifestyle. And on Saturdays, I work in a tasting room because it was like, hey, why not? I get to talk to people and be around wine all the time. Uh, so it, I, I think it's all about I don't know, because I, I also believe this can be something bigger. You know, I see maybe in a couple of years me shifting industries completely and diving into wine full time. But I know that's going to look a lot different than other people's journeys. Um, but I think it's just finding that passion and that drive and this never wine gives me that never ending um, sense of wanting to learn and explore. Yeah, that's so cool. I just I just love it. I love I love everybody who took that lump of coal that we all got last year and we're just kind of like diamonds bitch like this is what this is what <laughs> happened and i just i love it so okay um chris 
you said to me earlier that you were so excited about your dope follow this week. So hit us with it. So excited. Uh, It is on Instagram and it is uh, at VCR of death. Okay. (laughs) Okay. the, The entire concept around this account is they take really shitty or they just take, they take classic death scenes. They take death scenes from like, crappy B movies from C movies to like cult classic movies, all from like eighties, seventies, all on VCR. Uh, and they record it and they just take the death scene and they like, they put that video up and it is spectacular to like watch how we viewed like action movies or I don't know, drama or whatever at that point in time. Uh, is it's just marvelous. I mean, you get like the really crap. It's not like digitally remastered even a little bit. You get that like really crappy, blurry. Um, I don't know. What is that VCR look? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I know what film sort of looks like. You get like that crackle and like oh. the, c- the cigarette burn, but like that VCR look where everything was still on tape not digitized like it's marvelous it's just it makes me feel so good to come across that every day it just cracks it, me doesn't up. it just blow your mind to think about the things that we used to watch in our youth where like compared to today you're just kind of like how did we ever see anything how did we make out any <laughs> yeah, detail because it just like i i just i see some of this footage from back when we were kids and you're just kind of like you're like like, did we know what was happening on any of these shows? Because they all just look blurry now. And it's so ridiculous compared to the high death of, of, of today. Right. Like, I just, oh that's, yeah, for sure. I think about it's that like maybe way too much. Like you're just kind of like, <laughs> like, there's, there's, there's no way that I actually enjoyed any of these shows or I knew what anybody actually looked like, you know, because they're just all pixelated. Okay. That is a good one. Be Sarah of death. All right. Yeah, I'm no, in. I'm looking at the page now. Wow, this is awesome. <laughs> As you can see, we take this very seriously at times. So don't follow us, you know. They're not always the industry industry related. Um, okay, so so that obviously leaves leaves me here, and I'm a little late to this game um, in, in terms of this this TV show that I want everybody to go out and watch. Um, but I think especially just after the past year. And even though we have a genuine diamond maker in our presence right now, I think it it was still a very demanding year and it was, and it was, can be a little taxing. And um, I have been recommended the show so many times and I fought it and I just, I didn't want to give in. And then I watched the first two episodes. I was like, well, now I got to get another freaking streaming service. And um, that show is Ted Lasso on Apple TV. It is so good. It stars Jason Sudeikis and he he plays a coach, a football coach from Kansas who goes to uh, goes to England and coaches a football soccer team over there. And this the amount of good feelings that you get. And it's a comedy, but there's just, there's a lot of heart in it. And um, I'm already going through my second run through of it. It's, it's only 10 episodes or like 30 minute episodes as well, but it's just, it's a really good feel good um, show. And I just think that we need more of that in this world. Um, 
And I didn't want to believe the hype on it. Like I said, I fought it a lot, but it's so good. So if you haven't watched uh, Ted Lasso, go and watch that show. It really is that good. And if you have watched Ted Lasso, please text me, email me, because I need to talk about this show. And I don't know who's seen it because, again, I'm pretty behind the I'm pretty behind the trends on it. But it's amazing, and it's just it's a it's a good it's a good weekend binge. Grab yourself some natural wine and watch some Ted Lasso. Is that that is my recommendation? That's my don't follow this this week. Okay, I'm gonna check it out. You're gonna love it. You're gonna like. You're gonna text me and be like, "This is amazing." <laughs> Ooh, two bottle pops. Must be that pet net. <laughs> Music for the good you podcast. Out? What are you doing? I'm I'm reading. I'm reading. Give me a break. <laughs> oh the God. music for the good bottle podcast is orchestrated by the Moore Brothers and produced very awkwardly by us. Before we go kill these bottles that we are drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five star review because we're amazing and we love you. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the good bottle podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison six. Chris is Chris Sinflair. Nadia, can you hit us with all the different ways that our listeners need to follow you? Hit us with the magazine, the Instagrams, the website, all of it. Go through it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so you can find me on Instagram, Nod Wines. That's N-A-D Wines. Uh, you can find me at www.nodwines.com, my blog, my website. Um, feel free to email me, um, Nadia at Nod Wines. And for the other like ways to get a hold of me and find my work and all the things that I'm involved in, uh, at, so you can find the Wine Zine on Instagram at the Wine Zine. And the Vingard, we talked about the Vingard earlier. I'm part of that advisory board. That's the Vingard uh, on Instagram as well. And if you're in the Bay Area and you're looking to get natural wine on a Saturday afternoon now that it's nice and sunny, you can find me, um, I think, about every other Saturday at Vinca Minor Wine. And this is in Berkeley on off 4th Street. So yeah, DM me uh, anytime. I answer all my DMs um, at Nod Wines and come drink wine with me. I'd love to meet you, chat with you. And Vinca Minor has some fun like fruit wines, like some like pears and apples blended in with wine as well. Um, so yeah, uh, I had so much fun chatting with you guys. I can't wait to drink wine in real life. We are oh, yeah. so good at we are so good to drink wine in real life. This was this was so much fun. Um, and you know, for our listeners at home, you can you can support the podcast and uh, our desire to get a subscription to the Wine Zine, which I looked up and it's eight dollars an issue. So you know, send send us some send us some money via anchor.fm slash good bottle podcast, and you can also check out our uh, merch store. Go to Etsy, look up Good Bottle Podcast. You can get yourself a booze pundit 
t-shirt. You can get a sweatshirt. Uh, we also have some coffee mugs on there. And of course, the coolest fanny pack you've ever seen in your life <laughs> with a secret message inside the fanny pack that you will only know if you buy it. That Drew wrote while he was drunk, so he didn't even remember it existed. I did forget what I did, but then <laughs> one of the people who made, who bought it let me know, and I'm very proud that's of amazing. it. It's so. amazing. I'm proud of you for that. That's uh, that was a that's a good move. That's a solid move. Uh, if you I do like- a lot of <laughs> podcast work while drinking. Is basically what <laughs> I is what we're taking away from this. I hit a potential guest. I design fanny packs. This is what I do. I drink wine and I design fanny packs. This is my life. I, fanny packs came you back. Put that in your Instagram bio. <laughs> I think that should be a good idea. I think I do need to add that. Fanny packs came back. Now I, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for the uh, the 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 snow goggles on the head, and I'm waiting for the upside down uh, sun visors as well uh, to come back. Yeah. So so basically, you just want like the cast of like can't hardly wait to like have a renaissance and just be like recreate. And if you look up the movie poster, you'll be like, yep. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. No, you'll have the um, oversized button up completely open with the baggy jeans. Yeah, it'll be yellow. It'll be yellow. (laughs) So it'll be. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Uh, If you would like for us to cover a story, preferably not about the 90s, or if you're working with a brand uh, that wants to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase some of these bottles that we drank on tonight's episode at uh, thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers, everybody. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. Natty Wines for Life. Thank you.